Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Eleanor. She has trouble losing weight and has been dealing with those extra pesky 20 or so pounds for about five years. Eleanor, like many, feels like she's already eating perfect. She's doing a paleotype diet, all super clean and natural foods, and she's working out three to four days a week doing some cardio and weights. But yet, still no results. It's so frustrating because in her words, how much more can I even do? How much better can I even really be? I can stop eating, but I know that wouldn't be healthy for me. I hear that, Eleanor, for sure. Every pound is a struggle, and if she cheats even a tiny bit, it comes right back. She's really losing motivation being so good with so little results. Eleanor has listened to many of my previous podcasts, and she knew how much thyroid played a role, so she had her thyroid evaluated, but it all checked out. It was all optimal. When I met Eleanor, I looked over everything she was eating and took a detailed health history. And while yes, she was eating really, really well, I knew there were other things at play here and that those would give us clues to help solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the struggles that Eleanor was having with her weight. And join me on the show today and coming all the way from Ireland to talk much more about this is Brian Keane. He's a personal trainer, a certified strength and conditioning coach, and a sports nutritionist. He is also the host of the Brian Keane podcast, and he's the author of two bestsellers, The Fitness Mindset and Rewire Your Mindset. Brian, I am so excited for this conversation. Welcome. Ina, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Brian, let's dive right in. Why do you feel that so many people struggle with weight loss? It's such a great question. And similar to the case with Eleanor, sometimes it comes down to a combination of either confusing weight loss versus fat loss, so tracking the wrong goal, or 
following a plan or something that's not geared to fit into someone's lifestyle so they can't stick to it over the long term. My nutritional philosophy for a long time, as long as I've been working with people, has been trying to find the nutritional plan that will fit into your lifestyle and schedule that includes foods that you enjoy and that's in alignment with your goals in the case of you know weight loss in this case or fat loss. And I think once you're able to tick those three boxes, the world opens up to what you can potentially do and what food choices you use and how you potentially lay out your day. And the other thing that I've mentioned is the weight loss versus fat loss, which I won't spend too much time on. But in a lot of cases, similar to Eleanor's with people I've worked with in the past, is they've just been tracking the wrong thing, meaning that they've been tracking the numbers on a scale. So weight loss is lowering or reducing the numbers on a scale. Fat loss is reducing the amount of fat on your body. And they're two different things. And it's very important that if your goal is weight loss and you have, you know, you're 50 pounds, 100 pounds overweight, yeah, you're going to use a scale to track that progress. It's probably going to be your best way of doing it in terms of tracking metric. But if you're someone that has a little bit of body fat to lose and isn't necessarily overweight or clinically obese, you're probably going to be better tracking something like body fat. And you don't even have to go that crazy with it. You can use things like photos and how your clothes are fitting and even measurements, or if you want to go with body fat calipers and all those things in a with a personal trainer or in a gym, you can. But photos will do that and your clothing will do that. So I think it's important that people track the correct thing and then with weight loss, make sure that they find a nutritional plan that's sustainable for them and then look at it holistically. Yeah, no, I love what you're saying. And I think there is such a big difference with weight loss and fat loss. And for a lot of the clients that I see, you know, Eleanor included, they want to lose, you know, maybe 15, 20 pounds, sometimes 25 pounds, right? And I mean, that's, I find like one of the most common things where it's not a ton of weight, but you know, it's enough weight where it makes a difference. But it's like you said, something where the scale, sometimes it could be a little tricky, right? Because it's not going to show it. Um, and that's, it's such a, such a good way to think about it, to look at photos um, or how your clothes are fitting. But what would you say to those who get on the scale and I think a lot of people know that you really ideally shouldn't weigh yourself every day, but let's say they do it every couple of days or every week and the scale is still not moving. And they may say, you know what? Yeah, my jeans are a little bit looser, but you know, it still says 159 pounds or whatever it may be. Yeah, you have covered this in so many podcasts, Ina, with people with IBS or with issues with their thyroid or any hormonal imbalance. And I think anyone coming with a background similar to that will know that the weight can fluctuate daily and, you know, hour to hour, even minute to minute in some cases. And it makes it a very difficult thing for people to stop tracking because it's very addictive because the scales by their nature give you instant feedback. And because you're getting that instant number, we can become addicted to it. You're getting that little bit of a dopamine hit every time and it becomes very addictive and people fall into the cycle of weighing themselves every day or every couple of hours. And I think it's important to understand that weight can fluctuate very easily based on hormones, based on the time of the month of your female, based on the food that you've eaten, or if you've had you know, a high sodium meal or a high salt meal, or you've drank a load of water, that can affect your weight or the amount of carbohydrates you've eaten will pull more water into your body, which means you'll weigh more. That doesn't necessarily mean that your body fat will go up, but your weight could potentially go up or in the case of what you've mentioned, not necessarily go down. And another issue which can happen is if someone joins the gym, or starts to work out and follow some form of resistance program, either body weight resistance at home or strength training in a gym with a coach or by themselves, if you're building lean muscle tissue, 
you might be reducing body fat, but your lean muscle tissue could be going up, which means there could be a balance on the scale. So you'll step on the scale, your clothes will feel looser, your body fat will be down, but you might weigh exactly the same from week one to week six because you've been following a strength program. And that can play on a lot of people's minds. And what I tell a lot of the people that follow me on my podcast or read my books is strength training, resistance training, doing any sort of weight lifting or even using your body weight at home it boosts your metabolic rate, which is the calorie burning equivalent of making money while you sleep. You go to the gym or you work out at home and you do resistance training, your metabolic rate will go up with that style of training. So you'll burn more calories while you're resting. And that's a real long-term strategy for people when it comes to bringing fat loss down, particularly someone like Eleanor, who's tried several things and she's checked out her thyroid and she's checked out her hormones and everything is fine, but she still can't get her weight down or get her body fat down. It might be a case of either looking at that sustainability with her nutrition, as I mentioned, finding things that she enjoys and can stick to and adhere to, or it could be a case of looking at the other side of the coin, the training side, where you work towards boosting your metabolism. One of the scientifically proven things that boosts your metabolism is resistance and strength training versus things that are marketed to do that, certain teas, et cetera, that you know, the jury will be out on in a lot of cases. And then your sleep, to bring it all around. Like They're the three pillars of weight loss for anybody it's in your nutrition your training and your sleep you know you've spoken so often in this podcast about balancing hormones if you're not sleeping well and you aren't and don't have high quality sleep you're going to have a down regulation in certain hormones just two that could jump to mind as a nutritionist from my side with body composition you know ghrelin and leptin your hunger and satiation hormone the hunger the hormones that tell you you're hungry and you're full they become down regulated if you're poorly sleeping so that makes dietary adherence so much more difficult because the last thing you want to do the next day when you've had a really poor night's sleep is follow a nutritional plan with nutrient-dense foods you want something sugary you want some cookies or you want some chocolate or you want some sugary drinks to bring your energy levels up and that can set you back with your nutrition as well. So it all ties together. And that's not even going into the mindset, self-sabotage, and making sure that you're setting the correct goals and tracking the correct things as we touched on. It's looking at it holistically is going to be important. And I think once people do that, it can make that scale addiction a little bit less because you educate yourself on, well, actually, my goal isn't necessarily weight loss. I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want to feel more confident in a dress. I want to feel sexier without clothes. They're things that are goals that will work backwards off fat loss versus weight loss because nobody asks when you go into a dress store, you know, you can wear this if you're 100 pounds. You can wear this if you're 60 pounds. That's not how clothing fits. And the same way as if- That's such a good point. And people do. And sometimes we act like that's what happens. And as a result, it shifts that mindset, which can be the kind of the first step towards getting people to, you know, approach their nutrition, their training, their sleep, their entire weight loss goal in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love everything you're saying. There's a lot there. So, and I'd love to talk about mindset too in a second, but I just want to go back to where we started with strength training. I think I agree with you hundred percent that it is so important because of everything that you mentioned, but what would you say to people who feel that when they strength train, they actually feel bigger. I know you mentioned that the scale could go up possibly because of the muscle, but does strength training for women really make you bigger? The short answer is no. The long answer is it depends. And I'll break down both. Weight training and resistance training and strength training doesn't make you bigger unless 
you have the adequate amount of calories and you eat too many calories to support that growth, particularly for females. And I get this pushback sometimes with my females because they think that, well, if I lift weights, I'm actually going to get big and bulky. And yes, that can happen if you're eating way too many calories and you have a genetic predisposition to being bigger and then you strength train in a very low rep range with heavy weight, you might get a bit bigger. It's unlikely, but but you, you might. It's, it's a lot easier for guys because they've got more testosterone, they've got more hormones that will support that growth, and it's not even that easy for guys. So it's, it's one of those things that sometimes it can stop females lifting weights because they think, well, I'll get big and bulky. And that's not what happens. What happens with the majority of females, assuming that they're in a you know calorie control plan, a good nutritional plan, good nutrient-dense foods is my personal preference, plenty of complex carbs, healthy fats, complete protein sources, plenty of plants, fruits and vegetables, etc., based on the individual, of course. That's my nutritional preference. Of course, it depends on the person. But with the training element, that training is going to make you leaner. Because if you think about it, like what I said, when you resistance train as a female, you boost your metabolism, you increase your metabolic rate, which basically means you're boosting your metabolism. So it means you're burning more calories while you rest. So you can do a weight training session or a resistance training or a strength training session, and you can go home a couple of hours later and be watching your favorite TV show or playing with your kids, and you're still burning calories as your body repairs from that workout. That's where the confusion comes in with the training element sometimes is females, and not all females, I don't want to put this into a generic gender bias, but just based on the experience of working with a lot of my females over the years, they can have a cardio background where they'll do a lot of cardiovascular activity. They'll walk, they'll run, they'll do the cross trainer if they're in a gym and they think, well, I want to lose weight. I need to do cardio. And there's definitely a time and a place for cardio because cardio helps you burn more calories and the more calories you burn can potentially support a caloric deficit, which means that you'll start to tap into stored fat and burn it for fuel. So the, it, in terms of where that idea comes from, it makes a lot of sense. But where they miss out is once that session is over, you largely stop burning calories. So if you go to the gym or you're doing a workout at home and your workout burns 300 calories doing strength training and you burn 600 calories if you went for a run, it's very easy to see where the logic is that, well, I'll run, I burn more calories, but they work in different ways. One is going to continually burn more calories while you're resting and while you're recovering and while you're repairing, i.e. the strength training where the cardiovascular activity, you're burning more calories within that session, but not necessarily any outside of it. So, you know, the obviously you know, doing and knowing that you're going to try and combine the best of both worlds to get the best of both worlds. So I think that that misconception of getting big and bulky, it just doesn't happen. There needs to be so many other factors there for that to happen for somebody, as I mentioned, excess calories where they're consuming way more food than their body needs and they're putting on fat alongside the muscle. They also need to have a genetic predisposition to getting bigger, which some females have, but not all. And it, it can be quite difficult. If you're a female who's trying to put on a lot of size, that can be hard because you don't have the same level of testosterone. You don't have the same hormones that a lot of other men would have that would potentially support that muscle growth. So it's very unlikely to happen. Mm, well, that's great to know. I think it's also good to see that if it does happen while unlikely, it's as you mentioned, typically if someone's eating too many calories or possibly just eating too many carbs, is what happens sometimes is, and as you said, ideally, we want to look at sleep, our nutrition, and our exercise together, right? Those are the keys, but not everyone 
always does all of them. So sometimes people say, well, you know what? I'm going to start with one thing at a time. Let me start with exercise, right? And which is great. I mean, you start where you can start, right? But if possibly maybe they've started with lifting and they're still eating the way they were, higher carbs, and if they're eating a lot of carbs right post that workout, that may kind of help with more muscle growth. And, you know, potentially maybe that's how it could happen for some of the people, right? That feel that way. Yeah, 100%. Like if you don't align your nutrition alongside the training, you're not going to get the body composition change or the weight loss that you want. You have to do both. And I would argue the order matters a great deal here. Like it's great to add in some exercise and fitness. And I'm a, I'm personally a fitness lover. I know not everybody is, but realistically, if your goal is weight loss, you need to look at your nutrition first because you can exercise till the cows come home. But if your calories are too high, your carbs are too high, your nutrition is in alignment with helping your body tap into stored fat for fuel, whether that's through balancing hormones or a caloric deficit or a combination of all, you're not going to get the change. Whereas you could remove training completely, look at nutrition, and potentially get your weight down and lose body fat with it. Now, as I said, in the case of someone like Eleanor, who's tried a lot of different things, it's, it's obviously you're looking to, to go in a different area with it, with your nutrition, your training, your sleep, etc. But I've had people I've worked with in, in the past who have never done any workouts. Now, I'll give them a step count where I'll say, well, look, I want you to hit 8,000 steps today, or I want you to hit 10,000 steps today, or I want you to you know, stand more often or be more active during the day in terms of just moving about. And we'll look at their nutrition. And those people will lose weight and those people will lose body fat it's very difficult to do that in the reverse by letting people eat whatever they want whenever they want and training the way i want them to potentially train because it doesn't work out that way and that's a really really good point and good to know because i do think a lot of people think that it's equal they say well they're both good but if i only have time for one i'm going to pick whichever one i like more right some people like food more some people like to exercise more so that's really good to know that it doesn't work in reverse now another thing that you talk about is you know you help people to figure out what plan is best for them and there are so many different diets out there right i mean we have and they're so opposite too right we have the higher carb low fat and then we have all of the high protein uh, or the high fat with low carb and as much as when you look at them individually they all make sense i know that there's certain plans that are just going to work better for certain people than others but how is one to know what's best for them if you look at diets like a square peg going into a square hole, that's probably a better way to consider the nutritional strategies that are out there. And what I mean by finding a square peg into a square hole, a square peg will fit perfectly into a square hole. It won't fit so well into a round hole. And that's how diets and nutritional strategies are with people. Some nutritional strategies and diets work tremendously well for some people and others don't work that well for them. And I would argue in the case of body composition, now I'm not talking just hormonal balancing, I'm not talking thyroid, the areas you specialize in when it comes to you know overall health and wellness, but from purely a weight loss standpoint and body composition change and reducing body fat, it's about finding a plan that you can stick to over the long term that ideally puts you into that caloric deficit, meaning that you are consuming less calories than your body needs so that you can tap into stored fat for fuel. Now, there's going to be, and I don't want to simplify it as a calories in, calories out thing, but calories make a big difference when it comes to research and every scientific study that's ever been done with weight loss. You'll find that there's an underlying theme of caloric restriction in there somewhere. And that means that if you're following plant-based or following a keto diet or following a carnivore diet or following a paleo diet or going low carb or going you know low carb high fat if you can find a plan that you can stick to 
that works for you, that's effectively going to be the long-term strategy and sustainable strategy with any plan because they all technically work for the most part it's just about finding what's going to be a good fit for you i have a personal preference of you know nutrient dense foods i like an 80 20 approach with my weight loss clients with mostly nutrient dense foods so complex carbohydrates healthy fats complete protein sources plenty of plants you know fruits and vegetables based on the individual and based on their starting point when i'm talking pure weight loss pure body composition all other things equal no underlying conditions no underlying issues and that's what I like as a coach because it gives flexibility with 80% of the time. It keeps people feeling fueled, keeps them feeling full because they're hitting their fiber intake, keeps them feeling energized because they're hitting their vitamin and mineral intake for the most part. It's keeping them recovered from potential workouts because they're hitting their amino acids from the protein they're eating. And that mixed in with 20% of what's your favorite foods? What do you love? Do you like ice cream? Do you like glasses of wine? Do you like cookies? it's not necessarily an issue of good and bad food where people will say, look, I'm dieting now. I want to lose weight. I can't have any cookies or I can't drink any wine or I can't have any beer or I can't have any ice cream. I would argue with pure weight loss that if you can include some of those foods, you know, a little bit every day or, you know, once or twice a week so that you're able to dietary adhere and stick to your nutritional strategy overall, those foods are probably going to be pretty good in that context. Now, again, they're not high nutrients, they're not the best for your overall health and wellness. But when it comes to weight loss and dietary adherence, if including those foods helps you stick to your plan and it stops you, you know, pressing the, you know, I might as well book it a button where you decide, do you know what? I I'm going to just eat salad for the next seven days and then you've got a craving and you have a scoop of ice cream and before you know it, you've gone through two tubs, which happens to people. I would like that happens. That's self-sabotage. That's just down to, we've all been there. I've been there. I I can't say speak for everybody, but I've been there. And that comes from too many changes too soon, that all or nothing mindset. And when you fall off plan thinking, you know what, I might as well just eat whatever I want now. That mindset is really destructive when it comes to long-term sustainable weight loss, because you end up either completely eroding your own self-confidence with your ability to stick to a nutritional strategy, which is the mindset element of it, mixed with you're getting these hormonal fluctuations, which isn't going to help. Like there's at no point should you be going complete salad and, you know, some lean chicken for seven days and then eating 15 tubs of ice cream where you just low, overload your body with sugar. Like it doesn't help anything. Pretty much of a roller coaster. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I really, really understand what you're saying too about some of the sabotage with that. I've been there too. And I see this with clients with food, but I also see it sometimes with supplements. People say, oh, you know, I forgot my supplements for a day and then I forgot them for two days and then I forgot to take them for five days. So I just decided that I'm not going to take them for a while. And it's like, but you know, if even if you take them once a week, it's still better than no times a week, right? So um, it's a similar idea. But essentially what you're saying is you're programming in one or two cheap meals so that you know they're coming versus falling off the wagon and then having, you know, overindulging, right? Yeah. And the analogy I would use there for the f- not taking your supplements or falling off a nutritional strategy. And this happens a lot with people that come into my programs is where they will, something will happen on Saturday. They'll fall off plan or they'll go off plan and they'll eat a food that wasn't on the plan. And then before they know what they go, do you know what? I may, might as well just eat whatever I want. I'll start back on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then all of Saturday, all of Sunday was eating whatever you wanted that was off plan. And then they reset and get back on plan Monday. That's the same as driving down a highway getting one flat tire 
and then getting out of the car and slashing the other three tires because one went <laughs> flat. That's the dietary and nutritional equivalent of that. And it's true. And it's the way you get around that is if you go off plan, you reset and you get back on plan again. You're like, okay, cool. I had the cookies. I had the glass of wine. I had the whatever food that you ate that was off your plan. And then you get back on plan. And I think it's important to cultivate that mindset of, you know, getting back on plan when you fall off, reset and you go again, because ultimately that's what adds up over time. Now with the plans, I know you said that it has to obviously be sustainable and nutrient dense, and I'm with you hundred percent on that too. Now, what about something like metabolic typing? Do you ever look at that? Um, you know, cause there's some people who I know I hear from clients say, you know what, I don't really need carbs. I can eat without carbs. I could do like, you know, paleo and keto and I feel great. And there's others that say, oh my gosh, I tried paleo or keto. I was exhausted. Like I just could not just get through the day. And if I don't eat a, even a little bit of carbs, I, I can't. What are your thoughts there? I think it comes back to the square peg in a square hole. There's so much unique genetic predispositions from individual to individual dietary preferences from individual to individual, and then metabolic history will come down to, you know, what works best for your body. And I would say experiment with it. So for example, I always use myself and my best friend, Paul, as an example on this. I'm a low carb person. I, I could go my whole life without having carbohydrates. My, as long as I have good, healthy fats and protein, I feel amazing. I feel really clear throughout the day and I don't get these blood sugar fluctuations. My best friend, Paul, is the complete opposite. He can't live without carbohydrates, but he can drop his fats down really low and he feels the same as I do on high fats. And it's not a right or a wrong thing. It's just that we have individual metabolic typing, as you said there, some people are going to work better with high carbs, some people work better with high fats. And it's a little bit of experimentation with what works best for you. If you told me, Ina, I had to go the rest of my life without eating carbohydrates, I would be totally fine with that. But if you said that I had to go the rest of my life without eating dietary fat, I'd be like, oh my God, I would be anxious because my brain slows down, my energy plummets, my body just doesn't work that well off high carb, high fat. Whereas my best friend Paul is the opposite. And I think there's a little bit of experimentation that people need to do to find what works best for them. And it ultimately comes down to knowing that there isn't a one size fits all. If there was, every single person on the planet would eat a certain way and look the way they wanted to look and feel the way they wanted to feel. You have to experiment with it to find what's going to be the best fit for you. Yeah. And I am like your best friend, Paul. I do better with not a lot of carbs, but having some carbs and protein, of course, as well. And then because of that, you know, you sort of, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? If you're going to have carbs, you can't have that much fat um, and vice versa. So I have to cut down my fats, but I feel well. But if you told me that I could never eat a carb again, I would be very, very, very sad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and, there, and, there, and therein lies it, whereas I would be on the reverse. But now, don't get me wrong. I love my carbs. I love my rice. I love my chocolate. I love my beer, like all of those things. But in terms of if you said, well, this is the optimal thing, I, I wouldn't be able to remove my fats. I would take my carbs if you gave me that option. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, and, and I'm, I'm the opposite. Yeah, but but that's, you know, I think this is important for people to know because, you know, in like in Eleanor's case, you know, she was doing kind of like a higher protein, higher fat. It was like AIP, like it wasn't keto per se, but it was like a paleo AIP. And naturally, you know, she wasn't eating grains. So she was just eating lower carb and naturally having more fat and protein. And as healthy as that diet is, 
it is sort of like a square peg into a circle hole possibly or the other way around that for her, it just wasn't quite the right plan. You know, she actually needed some carbs and she felt like she kept denying herself. And that's also what made such a difference emotionally for her where she wasn't seeing the results quickly as quickly as she wanted. And she lost motivation because she felt like she was literally changing everything she was eating, not in like the natural way that she would want to eat. And so it made it even harder for her, you know? I'm not sure how shoe sizes work in the US, but in Ireland, they work on like a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Trying on a diet that works great for somebody else, but doesn't necessarily work great for you is like trying on somebody's shoes whose two sizes too big. And that's why you have to find what's going to effectively be the best fit for you. Now, how do you recommend that people do that? Do you recommend that someone maybe try a specific diet and give it two weeks, see how they feel, and then try something else and see if they feel different? Or are there maybe certain questionnaires that you like that people can take? Or um, I guess anything else, maybe like, does it have to do with how their body composition is? Or is it anything genetic that determines that at all? I personally lean towards the kind of priority model. So based on how high of a priority your goal is, you can either go and work with a coach or program or on a diet plan that's very specific in an area and then potentially trial and error with that coach. Or you can try on a lot of different things yourself and give yourself a longer runway of time. And with nutrition, in terms of finding what you should start with, I would normally recommend, as opposed to going through quizzes and different testing, which you can do, some people like that, I would follow your own natural curiosity. You will have a natural curiosity when you hear a diet or hear about a nutritional strategy. And I think if there's enough of a curiosity there that, and it has sound underlying nutritional principles, i.e. it's not something like Weight Watchers or something that is just completely random where, you know, the points, we have an equivalent in Ireland, it's called Slimming World, where there's no nutritional science. It's just random numbers attributed to certain foods. And it's not based on anything other than people in a room that kind of made up, well, this is this many sins or this is this many points. But any nutritional diet that has a sound nutritional principle to it, and you have a curiosity to potentially follow it, whether that's paleo or a plant-based vegan diet or a ketogenic diet, or you know, even I know carnivore diet is a very popular one now, and particularly in the States, not so much here in Europe yet, but it, those diets are kind of trending. And removing all the ethical standpoints from it, if you have a curiosity with a diet that's out there and it's got some sound nutritional principles, i.e. it's at least got some science to support it, I would say try it on for a couple of weeks. See if it works for you and then use the failure as feedback. And what I talk about failure as feedback, and I mentioned this in the most recent book, is not all diets are going to be the best fit exactly as is. You might need to tweak it. You know, a lot of people will have versions of, say, modified paleo diets where they're eating paleo, but they have some sweet potato in there or they have some yams in there or they have some oats in there because it's it modified for them based on what they like and what they can stick to. So you're going to use a failure as feedback. If you're falling off track, it's probably a sign that that diet in the way that you're following it currently isn't working and you may need to tweak it. It doesn't mean you just throw the whole thing out the window. It just means you may need to adapt it. If you're finding that you're following a paleolithic diet and you have really bad cravings for, you know, chocolate or 
potato chips or anything along those lines, then you may either want to give yourself a longer runway of time until your body becomes accustomed to not having those foods, or you might want to just control your calories a little bit and then include some of those foods so that you're you're not depriving yourself of the things you love so that you don't completely binge out on it 7, 10, 14, 21 days after where you throw everything out the window, which can happen to people. That self-sabotage button gets pressed. So that's how I would say, as I said, there's other methods out there going through quizzes, going through tests. But listening to podcasts like this, listening to other episodes that you've done, Ina, listening to my show, the Brian Keane podcast, listening to other podcasts, you'll get a curiosity where you'll think, you know what, that sounds interesting. That sounds like it could fit for me. Then I would say, try it on. And if it doesn't work, then you you move on to the next one. But don't be diet hopping either for the next six, 12, 18 months. You don't want to get to the point, you know, where Eleanor you know, has potentially or a similar position to Eleanor where you've been dieting half your adult life. Because if you're dieting half your adult life, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is priorities and goals. And, you know, you can have different types of goals. Can you talk a little bit more about that? When it comes to weight loss, I think an important thing to ask yourself is, is this the time right now when I should be prioritizing my nutrition? And this is going to sound very left field from a certified nutritionist, very similar to, to what you do, you know, but I don't mean take your foot off the pedal completely with your nutrition and go from eating one way to eating McDonald's and Burger King three times a day. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about though is, is this the time and a place when you can prioritize your nutrition to 100% where you want to lose weight, you want to lose body fat, you have a very clear goal that you want to look a certain way in the future. Maybe you have a holiday coming up or a wedding or an event that you want to look your best for. I would argue that's a good time to prioritize your nutrition where you really go all in on following whatever plan you've decided is going to work for you or working with whatever coach you've decided is going to be a good fit for you. And you go all in on that and you prioritize it. But there'll be a time and a place in your life when you probably shouldn't be prioritizing your nutrition. You know, when, you, when you've had a new child, maybe you've got a new job promotion at work and you have a crazy workload at the minute, or there's something else going on in your life and a family member is sick or a loved one needs your attention more than they would normally need. That's when I would take a step off a little bit with your nutrition. Now you don't throw it out the window, but you don't calculate all your calories. You don't track your macros to a T. You don't worry and stress about what's going to be in the next meal. You just follow some basic principles. As I said, my personal preference is sticking with that nutrient-dense philosophy, that 80-20 rule, which I think works well for weight loss with people. But you can have your own version of what that looks like. And as I said, you don't throw the whole thing out the window, but you have to ask yourself, listening to this podcast, yes, you know, Eleanor, in the case of Eleanor, wanting to lose 15, 20, 25 pounds, uh, can I really prioritize this right now? Maybe Eleanor's had, you know, a new child and got a job promotion and is going to be crazy busy for the next six months. So she might want to just follow something that's going to kind of keep her ticking over for the next few months until she's able to prioritize that weight loss goal again. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think people should be on this perpetual diet or this perpetual weight loss cycle all the time. I actually think that's very destructive to people because it shifts that focus and pulls it away from other secondary goals you could be, be potentially setting for yourself when it comes to working out or training or looking a certain way that might might support you better. So I think it's important to check in with that and with goals just keep them realistic. Like I think that at, at the end of the day with weight loss, particularly with the internet, social media, the way things are, it's so easy for people to have unrealistic expectations. You're not going to lose 
10 pounds in 10 days for the most part and keep it off. Now you might, if you have, you know, you pull out all your carbohydrates and you reduce your water and you do all sorts of tricks that professional bodybuilders and bikini athletes do in terms of water manipulation, but you're not going to keep that off over the long term. Give yourself a runway of time, six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks, and work on a nutritional strategy and potentially a training program and a sleep protocol ideally in an ideal world that will support you and then be consistent with it it's the most unsexy word in all of health and fitness <laughs> it, but patience being patient and being consistent those two words if you can cultivate those two things and you follow a plan that fits into your lifestyle includes foods that you enjoy and is in alignment with your goal you will do really well over the long term mm, that's great now one of the things that can really get in the way and i know we've touched on this before is mindset and how we think about it. And so having a plan that's sustainable, having those cheap meals that you mentioned, I mean, that's really, really helpful. And you also gave us a, a really, really good tidbit earlier about, you know, when you go to the store, you know, they're not saying you need to be this way to wear this dress, right? So it's another way to think about it. But what are some other mindset, you know, hacks, if you will, that we can try to think about or think of it from a specific perspective to help us along? Oh, you've given me a completely unintentional segue. So I appreciate that, Ina, because I actually overlapped or, or missed this point when you asked it before. When you mentioned cheat meal, one of my mindset tips that I use for people, and it's pure semantics on words, but I tend to tell people to call their cheat meal a free meal mm. because what can happen sometimes when it comes to food relationships, and I work on a lot of behavioral psychology around people when it comes to food relationship, not my area of expertise when it comes to psychological training, but I've worked with enough individuals over the years that I can offer some basic points on uh, word manipulation language so that they can at least heal their relationship with food. And what cheat meal can sometimes signify to people is that the food you're eating is wrong and there's something bad with this food. And when I'm trying to work on somebody's long-term behavioral pattern with food, I try to improve and make sure they have a healthy relationship with food. And one of the ways I do that is by changing that language into a free meal, which means that it's a meal. It's basically the same thing. It's semantic words, but it's a meal that's off plan. It's a free meal. It's something that's not necessarily on your plan. And it's just something that's off plan. And that compounded over time can potentially help people see that, you know what, a McDonald's, and I'm not a fan of these foods, but McDonald's or Burger King, they're not necessarily terrible foods. Yes, if you if you eat them all the time, you would have a whole host of health problems. But once a week with a very nutrient-dense plan and it allows you to dietary adhere and stick to your plan, I would argue maybe it's a decent food choice in that option. Now, as I said, it's not recommendation. I'm not a fan of those foods. I think they're very poor in the trans fats and all that for your body. But with pure weight loss, sometimes having those favorite foods and not eliminating them from plans, pizza, a hamburger, beer, wine, cookies, ice cream, having a small bit of them in there, calling them a free meal because they fall off plan, that can compound very positively over time to healing food relationships with people. And sometimes when people have this diet mindset where they they categorize food into good and bad categories, which isn't necessarily very helpful when weight loss is your goal. Like categorizing food into good and bad categories is really useful if you're five or six years old. My daughter's six years old. So it's really easy for me to say, you know, Holly, these foods are good, these foods are bad. But that's not so useful when you're 36 or when you're 46 or when you're 56, because the food needs context. Because it's not necessarily good or bad. Yes, certain foods has you know low nutrients and high caloric value. Other foods has high caloric value and low nutrients and everything in between. But 
a piece of broccoli is not necessarily good. It's not going to save you from a burning building, you know, and a chocolate bar is not going to stab you down a back alley. Like food has no morals. We tend to project our morals onto the food. And yes, broccoli is so much more nutrient dense and it's low calorie and it will support a weight loss goal and a fat loss goal so much better than a piece of chocolate in most cases. And a chocolate bar is high caloric value and it's low nutrient. But again, it depends on the overall context of the plan. How are you training? How are you sleeping? How are you eating overall? And then changing your relationship with food slightly so that you can have that healthy long-term relationship so you can lose weight and that you can feel better doing it and you won't be pressing that self-sabotage button because you don't think you've done anything wrong when you've gone off plan. You reset, you get back on and it's doing that consistently over time, using that failure as feedback, getting your mindset right and then just plugging it all in together. Mm, okay, I really see what what you're saying there. Yeah. And I think, you know, that can affect a couple of different things in psychology, right? As you're saying, like the good and bad. I mean, sometimes if we eat something and we call it bad, even though, as you said, it's not nutrient dense, but our body may digest it differently just because emotionally we have that negative connotation with it. And then the other thing I think with that um, is if someone calls it bad, I guess, then they may feel like they failed. And then it's, it might be harder to sort of get out of that, like you mentioned, because then it's almost like you throw a pity party for yourself. Like, oh, I, I had a bad food. I'm a bad person. And then you almost feel bad for yourself. And then it makes it okay because you feel bad versus being like, oh, well, let's get back on and do it the right way. That guilt and shame cycle, people can spiral down that so easily. And healing that food relationship and the way you see food purely from a weight loss standpoint i'm not talking any underlying health issues it's a different conversation but purely from weight loss and body composition that guilt and shame cycle that people can spiral down and that pity party that they can fall into that can hold people back as much as anything else so i think it's important to potentially get on top of it yeah i know for sure and you know for those i mean i know so many people that listen to this show in addition to wanting to lose weight, have autoimmunity and other issues. And there's, you know, things where they may need to be gluten-free or dairy-free or grain-free or things like that. But maybe, you know, they could still have their free meal. But, you know, maybe instead of going to McDonald's or Burger King, they can make a burger for themselves with, you know, maybe some nice grass-fed beef and maybe a nice gluten-free bun. And it's still going to be higher calories. So it may not fit onto their plan as is, but it they could be they could still have their free meal but just make it from healthier ingredients, but it could still be that burger or that pizza or whatever else that they might want or a brownie that you can make grain-free, you know, from almond flour or something like that, right? I couldn't agree more. And just to double down on what you said there, Ina, like if you're coming with a health issue, autoimmune, you've gluten-free for medical reason or any underlying health issue, it's different advice. But as you said, you make the tweaks, you make the modifications based on what you said there, going with a gluten-free burger, potentially something that's higher calorie but off plan. I, I just want to restart stress what you said, but just to keep the idea of it, you're, you're modifying that to yourself because yes, there'll be foods you're avoiding, dairy, gluten, et cetera, based on a whole host of potential issues, but you can modify those other foods that potentially would fall off plan just to help use dietary adhere and stick to it over the long term. Yeah. Yeah. But the key though is calling it free, like you said, versus like a cheat or a bad meal. You know, I never really thought of it in that way, but it makes so much sense. And like you said, that relationship of sometimes it's just, you know, your brain hears what you say, what you think, right? And like sometimes we don't even realize that some of these words have such negative connotations and it could just have this huge spiral effect, as you mentioned. So that's really, really important. Yeah. 100%. Oh, Ryan, well, this is. Great. Thank you so much for all of this information. Now, for those that want to connect with you, learn more about you, 
where can they find you? Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for the lovely chatting. I'm really, really looking forward. You're on my podcast soon as well. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. We're doing a nice little double over. Um, people can find me everywhere online. Brian Keen Fitness on everything. So Instagram, Brian underscore Keen underscore fitness. My podcast is the Brian Keen podcast um, and all my books, the Fitness Mindset, Rewire Your Mindset, the Keen Edge, Mastering the Mindset for Real Lasting Fat Loss. My most recent one is available everywhere online. Uh, just I know a lot of people are listening all over the world, but particularly in the States, you can get it anywhere online, but I'm everywhere online as well if you just google my name Brian Keen. that is wonderful well I so appreciate you being here thank you so much for all of this wonderful information I know it's going to help so many people and I look forward to uh, talking with you soon thank you so much again when it comes to weight loss it's really a full body approach and it's quite multifaceted as Brian discussed in great detail just now with Eleanor we started by looking at the types of foods that her body worked best with. While she was eating super clean, after doing some experimenting, her body actually did better with less fats and a bit more carbs, and she was doing the opposite. We left her calories the same, but just adjusted the ratios. She was afraid to eat the carbs, but I explained to her that doing it in the right proportion for her would be okay, especially as she's eating the carbs that were coming from clean sources, and we also mostly use the grain-free ones as well. Additionally, as we started to change the foods, we also looked at her emotional connections, and well, there were many. We looked at limiting beliefs, which was really big for her. We also looked at some stress management techniques and worked on connecting her mind and her body. In addition to this, we also looked at her gut. One of the things that Eleanor mentioned is that most of her weight was concentrated around the belly. And while, of course, we can't spot reduce, she did feel bloated all the time. And so we did a stool test just to see what was going on. And Eleanor did have some overgrowth of yeast, as well as a few different types of bacteria in her gut. So I customized a protocol with some antimicrobial botanicals, as well as some digestive enzymes and some hydrochloric acid to help her digest and to help kill off the bugs. We did this protocol for six weeks. Now, at first, she did feel a little bit more bloated, which is not uncommon because when you start any type of cleanse or support, sometimes we can have what's called a detox reaction and we feel a little bit worse before we feel better. However, we used binders and things to help to support that, so the extra bloating only lasted about three to four days. After that, the bloating reduced and she felt much better. Six weeks later, between the food changes, the gut cleanse, and all of her emotional work, Eleanor lost eight pounds. She was so excited. This is the first time in years that this much weight has come off at one time. Before, she would maybe lose a pound and then two would come back. Maybe a half a pound would go down and then three would come back. This is the first time eight came off and it stayed off. So she was really excited. And of course, so was I. We continued working on the foods, also working on the emotional connections. And then we also started to look into her liver just to make sure that the liver function was working well and that she was processing her toxins. And as we did that, she lost five more pounds over the next two months. She couldn't be happier with her progress and is excited to continue on the journey. If Eleanor sounds like someone you know, can you please share this episode with them? And please be sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode yourself. And as always, when it comes to your health issues, 
please, please do not give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.